So remember what my daddy said, work before pleasure. Work and honesty. Tell the truth. Yeah. And so on. Even if you have difficulties. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I am here with my granddad today. And this is a conversation that I'm super excited about because I get to talk with my granddad more than I have ever done in my life before. So I have here with me Dr. Wilfred Asombang, who's my granddad, and I am happy to have you here, granddad. How are you doing today? Well, I'm okay. My granddaughter, my baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm, in, I'm in Zambia, in Lusaka. And, uh, um, of course, I'm Cameroonian yeah. by birth. Yeah. Uh, I've been in Zambia for quite some years, way back. First, we said Zambia way back in 77 for an interview for the United Nations. Yeah. Beautiful Namibia. And I'm still in Zambia now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. And you said you worked for the UN. Uh, from 1977 to when? Well, I had interview in 1977, but I started working in 1979. Right. Started in effectively, and then I retired from the UN uh, in um, 2002. 2002, and then, yeah. Yes, and then I was hired again by the African Union to serve on peacekeeping missions. The peacekeeping missions, the first one was in Burundi. And then, um, uh, then uh, Rwanda, and and um, and then of course uh, Sudan, Sudan. Right. The last one was Sudan, and and then I finally retired in two zero zero six in the African uh, Union. Right. Right. And since uh, so then I've been um, more or less a freelance consultant nice. in economic uh, economic uh, uh, affairs. Precisely uh, integration and so on in Africa. Awesome. You have such a story and I can't wait to dive into it. So uh, let's take it up, you know, let's take it back a few steps. So where were you born? What was your family dynamic like growing up? Uh, I mean, of course, I know you were born in Cameroon, but where exactly? And what was your family dynamics and, you know, just your upbringing as a whole? Very good. I was born in Bengui. Uh, Bengui has uh, two quarters. My quarter is Acha Quarter Mbengui. Momo Division, as you will know it today, Momo Division, of course, Bamenda. 
uh, northwest. I'm 80 years old now. Uh, you know, my, 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 my father is late and my mother is late as well. You know, as we say, polygamous uh, background. Those of you who are familiar with the uh, Momo you know, areas, this is um, the Asomban, Asomban family. It's uh, have Asomban and have the Njokum. You know, these are the two uh, people who are here in Bengui. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So how is, you know, like, how were you raised? Um, like, what's, like, when did you even start school? I know back then people started school late, right? So when did you start school? How was the community like back then? Yeah, way, way back in um, the 50s, the, 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 this is, uh, we have a Presbyterian, it's called, it's called Basel Mission, Basel Mission School, not a kindergarten, not uh, just just not not far from where the phone of Mbengui, from Joachim, just, just on top there, we started uh, primary school, the Basel Mission School there in Mbengui. Right. Uh, I was one of the, I was one of the very few in, in 1950, 1950, and then I uh, completed. Um, in fact, I was with with, with the, the with Jack Fombard and so on. Yeah, and and, and completed from uh, from the we had a nursery school. That's a preschool, as it were, right in Bengal itself, just next to uh, over the Chiefs uh, uh, Palace, and and then there's a Basel Mission School. Which is uh, which was taken out from grade one, grade one to, to grade six, mm-hmm. and that is they call it Basel Mission School in Bengui. And uh, when we completed in Bengui in those days, we had in Cameroon had only two secondary schools, one by in Bali, that's for the Basel Mission, mm-hmm. and the one in Sase for the Catholics. Mm. So you can imagine that there were only two secondary schools in uh, British Cameroon at the time, right? And, and so, and so uh, the exams uh, it was very, very difficult to get in. And and so we had uh, Omoa here, Nigeria, and then we had Oweri also mm-hmm. in Nigeria. And so those who feel you could not get into Bali or could not get into Sase, we had to go to uh, Enugu mm-hmm. there to and then or to. Um, Weary. But in my case, I went to Lagos, Agege, Agege, they call it Agege College, mm-hmm. Lagos. It's about 14 kilometers from the center of Lagos. So that is, uh, it was not easy in those days, actually. It is just two, uh, two, two secondary schools. Can you imagine? I know. Yeah. So when, when so you were done... We went to Nigeria. Those who were able to, to manage it. Yeah. So when you were done with secondary school and high school, what college did you go to? Then uh, when I was done with that, I, um, I went to India. I got a scholarship to go to India. The, uh, there was only one scholarship. They called it uh, Jawaneru, Jawaneru uh, scholarship. And uh, I, happened, I happened to have the only one with GC advanced level. Wow. The selection was the selection was done in Lagos. The application went from Cameroon to Lagos, and I was selected. And I went to India to the uh, University of Pune mm. on uh, Jawaneru scholarship, where I did a Bachelor of Commerce Honors degree. 
Wow. You know, advanced, advanced accounting and auditing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and in those days. Wow. So were you the only sibling amongst your siblings that, or at least were you the first person that went that far in education? That's that correct. In fact, the first to go to the go to Bali was uh, Fomukong, Michael Fomukong. He went then he went to Bali, then I went to Nigeria, and then Michael uh, Fokam, he went to uh, he went to, to Bali. So there are three three of us. The eldest Fomukong, I was second, and then um, Fokam was third. Wow. So I mean. Considering the lack of resources and the fact that you were probably like the very first in the family to have education, especially to that level of advancement, what was your motive? Like what motivated you to seek that level of education and what really kept you focused despite all the hurdles? Like what made you push through to be a success story today? Yeah, it's uh, my, my late father, actually. My late father, he, the way he brought me up, the way he brought us up, uh, was that uh, he emphasized hard work before pleasure. Hard work before pleasure. Now, he was the first to bring uh, coffee to, uh, to Momo, I mean, I mean to Mbengui there, and then to the whole of Mbengui, the villages. He brought, uh, he was a coffee, uh, uh, he was a coffee farmer. In fact, because he had, his own background was that uh, he, he um, was conscripted into the, the, the army and went to Gold Coast in those days as a driver, a truck driver. Mm-hmm. And so, so he came back with one thing in mind. When he, when he was brought back to succeed his own late father, he had, it was his motto was, my son, the first thing in life is work, work, hard work on your own. So every morning he used to get us up, the men, the, the, the males especially, you get us up and we start work, we have started farming in the coffee farm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then after, after midday, then we say, okay, now it is time to eat. You see, so the, and his motto was the first thing in your life is work. Be very, very honest in what we are doing. And then after work, then you can have pleasure. Don't start with pleasure. And so we started a very, 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 very tough life, as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very, very tough life. You would, uh, you would uh, say, go to the farm and do things and so on. And then we will get back home. Now, uh, I happen to have been brought up like, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it, in um, a polygamous family. Now, you know, yeah. in a polygamous family, you have one father and you have many mothers. One father and many mothers. Yeah. You see? And those, those mothers, they treat all the children like their own children. They don't make a distinction that this one is that and so on. They, 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 they treat all of us as one they that they don't belong there, they are our mother. Mm-hmm. So in those days, it's very difficult to, to say, oh, okay, this is my mother, or this is this. Because when it comes to eating, we all eat in my father's house. The moment in my father's house. And you call every woman mother. 
every woman calls you child. Yeah. And so, and so that was the, uh, the, 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 the way we were brought up. It was hard work. But there was one thing too, he too had in mind. He did uh, say, say that, oh, look, my son, I wish I went to school. So the first thing in your life is you have to go to school, accomplish what you can, and then you can you can then enjoy yourself the way you want. For instance, marriage was not it was not anything a priority in his mind. He never even mentioned it. So he treated he treated me like he was treating under under complete absolute control. You know, there was no time I ever spent a night outside the compound. Yeah, it was yeah. discipline. Discipline was on top of everything. Now the the challenge came because of this uh, for the fact that there were only two uh, secondary schools, and when I took the, uh, the want to go to Bali, I didn't succeed. Mm-hmm. I took uh, there was a, 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 an examination that came from schools in Nigeria. I took and I succeeded mm-hmm. on scholarship. Wow! You see, I was on scholarship. Although when when I got to uh, it, it was not easy for him to let me go because he said. He did say that, no, if you go and I don't have the money, what is going to happen? You know? Yeah. It was his brother, uh, Paul Alexander, one of his brothers who said, you are saying you shouldn't go, but you were in uh, Gold Coast. This is a man. Let him go. Even if he has no 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 money, he says his scholarship. Whatever they do, we have. Everybody will give something. So they gave, they gave me enough to be able to take me transport to Lagos. Yeah. But when I got to Lagos, what happened? They closed, something went wrong and they closed the school. Oh, no. They closed the the school. Now I was stranded. It was, the Muna was in power at the time. So they were visiting, then the queen, the queen was visiting Lagos. So my father said, no, bring back my son. Bring back my son. When I heard about that, I, had, I said, no, I'm not going anywhere. I, I ran into the bush. I tried to hide myself and, and so on. And then uh, the king went away and the politicians from Cameroon came by and went. So then I started struggling, struggling, working here and there. In some cases, I was like a, a street, uh, street uh, boy begging here and there. But uh, so I remember what my daddy said, work before pleasure. Work and honesty. Tell the truth. Yeah. And so on, even if you have difficulties. Yeah. I remember an incident in Lagos where, where because I was stranded, I went to the police and said, look, now I don't have anything to, this school is closed. I don't have any food to eat. I don't have anything to help me. If, if it means detaining me here, please detain me and give me food. Mm. And, and I will try. I want to, I'm not going back to Cameroon. I want really to go to school here. And the, and the police said, why don't you go and uh, commit some crime? Do something so we can get you, <laughs> lock, lock you up and then be able to feed you. My father's spirit just came to my mind. And I told him, I said, no, I would prefer to die than to commit a crime. Because that's what my father told me. The truth should be the way of your life. Even if you make a mistake, you say it. Honesty is, would save you a life. Because that's the way he has been brought up. So wherever you go, if there's anything, the truth, honesty, tell the truth, and so on, it will save you. So I told the police, I said, look, this is what I inherited from my father. If you want to help me, help me. But if you say I should commit a guy, I will not. And the police were shocked. But one of them just said they've never had this. 
and they decided to feed me for free. Wow. Finally, what happened? With all my uh, begging here and my working here, whatever, I was looking for, for anything, anything to do. I would I would work, even if it means carrying shit, because in those days, you too, they, they, they were no toilets where you flush. Mm-hmm. You know, I even went for those tests and so on. So I was doing all types of things. And the little money that I was getting, I was always tying it around my waist. Criminality was not as, as bad as it is today. Mm-hmm. But I was always tied around my waist. And I was still taking exams. Then I took an exam and passed to Amadia College. Amadia College. The little money I had. This is a Muslim, a Muslim uh, secondary school, a Muslim high school in Agege. Mm-hmm. The little money I had, I was able to pay for the, the first year. And when it came, my father was hearing this at home. He said, no, my son, you come by here. He's suffering, he's begging, this and that. How can it be? I am here, the president of the coffee cooperative here. How can my son be doing this and so on? So by the second year, then I uh, I told the principal, well, there's no way. If I finish, man, you finish this year, I have to go. And, uh, and, and I finished the year, and I was top of the class. Wow. And there were things that went on in the school I didn't even know. Whatever job was available, anybody wanting anything, I would always volunteer. I would always volunteer to do things, anything they wanted to be done, anywhere. They would call say, what is Wilfred? What is that song from that Cameroonian? And so people thought that I was a beggar and so on. But the performance in school was, when in, the, in the secondary school was, was simply incredible. Because, they, they, for instance, in Arabic, I was the third in a class of more than 30 mm. Muslims. And they couldn't believe this. And the gap between me and the second person was 100. And so they said, no, this one, instead of going to form two, we should push him to form three. But I told the principal that I don't even have money, I'm going back to Cameroon. He said, okay, we'll think about it. I think he went and worked out. So then they told me, you are not going anywhere because of the type of person you've been most sincere, most truthful, most working, hardworking person, and so devoted. They said that there's no student here who, who can compare with you. And in, in the classrooms, you, you're doing so well that I can't imagine it. They've even decided that instead of you going to form two, they should give you all promotion. You'll go to form three. They'll, they'll promote you to form three, and they'll give you a scholarship. They'll say that this school, it turned out that they told me that the fee that has been paid was contributed by teachers on their own. Wow. But now there's someone called M.A. Fagwai, a building contractor, who also had children in that school, in the Madia College. And the children were talking too much about me and so on, and that he decided that he would give me a scholarship. For the first time, I was able to wear Sandals, clad sandals. Because for the first two years in secondary school, I was barefooted. No, no, no shoes, nothing. Barefooted. I didn't have uh, books. So the, the, the library was, I had the key to the library. They say you can be in the library anytime. Right. And and so on. And so because of the, I got, I got the, uh, the scholarship, because again, of hard work and honesty, integrity, and humility, preparedness to, to, uh, to 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 help to work with anybody for uh, always for free, but they always give me something at the end. 
And, and then at that time, too, I also had the Bible as my pillow. The Bible, the whole the Bible as my pillow. In a Muslim, yeah. a, a Muslim school. Mm. And the Muslims, or the Muslims had no, no objection, nothing. They just accepted me, everything that I was doing. And instead of going to do high school for, uh, uh, then there were six years, they reduced to five. I did I did secondary school only for four years and got my West African school certificate, or called it the Cambridge, Cambridge certificate. Mm. With with and and because I was in charge of the library, the, I mean of the laboratory, they, they didn't nickname me doctor. Doctor. <laughs> Whenever they wanted anything to be cleaned from the laboratory, whether it was uh, uh, it was a guinea pig that was uh, slaughtered, or uh, it was uh, um, uh, flies, or any any you know these cockroaches, anything that was dirty there, pig, guinea pigs, which you know, they will always I will always be the first to go say I want to clean it. So they also gave me the key to the laboratory, and wow. they're calling me doc- doctor, doctor, and that's what at the when it was almost getting to the end of uh, when they were I finished the exams. The, I said I wanted to do medicine, and this my the person who had given me the scholarship said, "Well, I could help, but you know I also have children with you. There's no way I can help you to go to medical school. What I'll, I'll do is I'm prepared to uh, give you a transport so that you can go back to Cameroon, and and then continue your life from there. And that's what happened." I wow. left, left Nigeria in early '61, mm-hmm. and uh, and and was back in Cameroon in Kumba, where one of my uncles, Daniel Yamnu, is the fortunate still alive. He made me to join him in tapping, tapping uh, palm wine. Mm-hmm. So I was I was a palm wine tapper too, in Kumba with uh, with uh, the the the, the tachaba. And by then, my elder brother was in the bush somewhere in the bush in Kumba. And every time we were tapping this wine, would 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 uh, tap and come and sell in Kumba Meta Quarters mm-hmm. in those days. It was sixty-one. And when Meta Quarters, then my my uh, somebody somebody said there in this church uh, said, "Oh, there was a metal group there." He said, how? We understand this man from Nigeria and that he has a school certificate. How can you people make him a wine tapper, going to the farm and tapping wine and so on? And so they said, ah, but what do we want us to do? Someone said, oh, there is Chief Mukete here. He is the chairman of the uh, Cameroon Development Corporation. Can we not uh, take this, uh, this man to him? I said, this is someone who has a whole certificate from Nigeria. Can you get him a job in the CDC? And so that's how my that my uncle, he decided that he would take me to Chibokete's palace. And Chibokete uh, received me very well and uh, uh, asked for my papers. Fortunately, the person at uh, MFAWI had arranged and sent me my certificates and so on. Then I took to Mukete. Mukete said, what? You have 
High school, secondary school, college, uh, the secondary school, uh, college uh, certificate with all these uh, uh, science things and so on, biology, health and all this uh, passing in this. No. <laughs> you go, you go from Kumba here, go to the manager, general manager of the CDC and tell him that. I have sent you. You gave me a note. Right. So let's, uh, Granda, let's take a let's take a little step back and explain to the non-Cameroonians what yeah. all this uh, people, who all these people, and what all these places are. So you said uh, the Meta people. So Meta people, that's basically the tribe. What the people from the tribe, right? Yeah. So uh, that's where you are from. Where that's where we are all from. The the part yeah. of you know. Cameroon that you were born and where we are from. Now, CDC is a Cameroon Development Corporation. And um, I think you would probably be at a better position to explain that. Um, and then uh, Chief Mukete back then was the chief of what region in Cameroon? Kumba. Okay. Kumba is one of the provinces. Okay. And how yeah. you describe the CDC? The CDC, CDC was uh, they was actually known as Colonial Development Corporation before oh. before uh, before uh, yeah. before nineteen sixty before the prohibition uh, period. Yeah, I mean, before the we left Nigeria, it was known as uh, Colonial Development Corporation. Mm-hmm. Now, now when we became uh, when Nigeria became free. The and Cameroon was now uh, southwest Cameroon. They then decided that instead of continuing to call it Colonial Development Corporation, they should now call it Cameroon Development Corporation. So the CDC thing was still remaining, mm-hmm. and and it it was actually uh, it was it was based not not far from the uh, the headquarters was not far from the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. you know, the Atlantic Ocean with the border with Nigeria. And the East Cameroon or French Cameroon in those days, mm-hmm. you see, mm-hmm. that 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 is uh, the the CDC. It was uh, very uh, very close to um, uh, the, the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. and where I came from was very far up north, north, yeah. north Cameroon. Yeah. So this was uh, it was first uh, colonial, and then it became a Cameroon Development Corporation. Right and, and actually was uh, it was agricultural. In, in, it had it had all the uh, agricultural uh, products, uh, you know. Yeah. In, in Cameroon, so the Cameroon Development Corporation. Right. So Chief Mukete sent you, told you to take your application there. Yeah, he said I take my application to the headquarters, the General Cameroon Development Corporation. And tell him that uh, based on my uh, uh, credentials, he should he should find me a job. You know, mm-hmm. he, didn't, he didn't say what job. He just said you know because he was happened to be a chairman. He was more political because when I was in Nigeria, he was already a, a minister in the, uh, in the in the House of Assembly. Can you imagine in Parliament, Nigerian Parliament? Mm-hmm. But 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 when we uh, we now became on our own. Well, you know, we separated from Nigeria when they got their independence. And I happened to, I was in Nigeria at the time of independence. I was one of the prefects in the school. Wow. You know, <laughs> and so I got independence. So now Mukete is a globe now. 
Then what happened to general manager, and general manager happens to be, uh, he was a white man at the time, you know, and, 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 uh, and I went there, he, he said, oh, okay. He looked at my uh, papers and said, we need a research assistant. We need a research assistant. Uh, and, uh, and there was, you would have to go to Tico because they needed uh, a research assistant. First of all, they want one in uh, rubber trees mm -hmm. and then uh, cocoa trees. They wanted bananas and they, want, they wanted one also in, um, in palm trees. So, so you, you, you would, would you uh, mind, you, would you uh, accept a position as a, a research assistant? Uh, Given, given you are the the certificate you have, you have quite a the science subject like the chemistry, physics, biology, and so on. You were all in there, so um, I, I said yes. Why not? And that's why I got that I got into the CDC as a research assistant in in, in Tico. And I had I had twelve. I mean, I had 20, 20 people to work uh, work for who, who I was going to boss them. Yeah, they were your subordinates. Most, most of them were like my like my father. Oh. <laughs> because they used to call me mosquito. I mean, you can do that kind of thing, you know? And so because I asked one to climb a tree to go and take the leaves so that we can take to the lab and see how they'll be analyzed. Uh, they will say, mosquito, you are, you, are, you are our boss, but you climb. We cannot climb this thing. You are tiny. You can climb. You are the boss. <laughs> you know, so, you know, those are some of the... <laughs> Interesting yeah. things. Yeah. So anyway, I uh, from there then um, a position a, a position came for a higher position came for a, a field management trainee. And and so and so they say oh because of your performance as a research assistant, now we would uh, we would uh, give you this job. But you go for interview. I went again for interview and I succeeded. So they appointed me as a field. Uh, monument trainee in Moliwe, in Moliwe, and uh, and my, my boss from there was from uh, from England, was from Europe as well, you know, and 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 so it was now from twenty people I had to supervise a thousand or more, mm. you know, and so I then through the CDC from uh, from Moliwe, I went to um, now which is down to Nigeria. And, and, and there, while I was doing this, while in Moliwe there, it occurred to me, I said, oh, there are, my colleagues had finished from Sase and uh, Bali. They are going to universities because they have their GCE advanced level. Mm -hmm. Now, I, there was no way I could do anything. So I, I tried, I started looking here and there. I came to discover Rapid Results College in the UK. And they, they said, okay, and you know, so you, if you pay, they'll send you the, uh, the tuition materials. Uh, because London University, you prepare for London University exam, GC advanced level. And so that's why I decided my own again. I said, no, how can my, my colleagues, they are going into these places and I don't have, if I stop work, where will I go? You know, so I said I have to work and study. Yeah, work and study, and that's how I was working in Moliwe. They were working and study, working and studying, 
what people were doing in, in they were doing, taking two years, uh, two something, three years, two or three years to so finish GCAA level. I took one year and I was ready for the exam. Wow. While working. And then I passed with three three papers by the time I was being sent to Eden now. I was the only one in the country at the time with three A-levels. Mm-hmm. And that's how, when I got to Eden now, after some time, I just said, no, I think I, think I want to... Um, to join the government, the civil service. Mm-hmm. Now, then, then, then I was uh, recruited as um, assistant commercial officer. So I, I, had, I had to quit the CDC to Boya. The Fange was the permanent secretary then. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the interesting thing was that at that time, when I got there, the, the people I was being interviewed with, one of them happens to be my teacher in primary school in Bengui, the first year. Mm-hmm. So we met at the interview and he said, my goodness, me and you are for the same interview. Said, no, 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 no way. He said, this is your baby and that type of thing. So he gave up even before we went into the interview room. He said, he said I'm going to do better. And that's how I was selected. And I was then in the, in the government, in the Ministry of Commerce, Labor, Industry. And, and, yeah. and so on. And uh, it was from there that uh, there are so many other things because we took a lot of stories because we took exam to go to the US. Uh, I could I, I do, uh, do there. Then the Indian one came. Then I was selected to go to India from the Ministry of Industry. Right. That's how I went, I went to uh, India and then in 64. I think that was when I went. Right. So, uh, and then you got your bachelor's and um, you... Uh, but, I got, but yeah, I got my bachelor's in the commerce, you know, and, and uh, returned return home. And uh, when, when I returned home, I, again, I went to government. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, there was a big, big, big struggle for everyone wanting a Zombang, everyone wanting a Zombang, you know, that type of a thing and and um, and I ended up first of all I, I first went to the Americans wanted to give some aid and and and, and they thought oh they had that there's some uh, decent corrupt corruption free person here and they identified <laughs> me as a corruption free person and so even the ministry where I was they just gave me a project aided by the Americans to dig a road from CDC headquarters the North Coast to Boya through the bush. Wow. With the equipment and all that. And that, that's what I did. I did all that. And um and and while again they, then it became things became a bit political because when they appointed me, uh was in, in power and again they wanted someone to to decentralize the ministries. Mm-hmm. So Fakot Division was handed to me. You know, I was appointed secretary, I went to FACO. And uh, and then they, they, they also appointed me to take charge of the, the election election of Ahijo in when I was in FACO. Yeah. And Ahijo and, uh, was the then president before so the president of Cameroon. Cameroon, yes. Yeah. Ahijo was the then president of Cameroon. And uh, 
And, and during the elections, this was the, the biggest trial again of uh, the, the, the corruption that went on. I was, people were, while they was calling Ahijo, 90%, 99%, and so on. Somewhere I put 35% here, I put 20% here. Then the senior divisional officer at that time, he was from Bamenda, he called me and said, my small brother, you are going to die. <laughs> Don't even try to put down that you counted and there are only 20%. People are putting 99%. You are the only one who has put down what you actually found. Please, quickly do what other people are doing if you want to be alive. And I don't want to be here. When you are people will hear that a man called man who is senior divino officer saw a Bengali man who was who did not follow the, the the rules of the game that he has been killed, they are going to hold me responsible. So at that you know as um, as the officer in charge, it was really one of those things that yeah, I did. Which, uh, which I, I, I said, I told him, I said, okay, I'm going to do what, what things are, but I'm not going to continue in government service. I would rather go back to the CDC than ever to than do, do, do what I'm seeing is happening with the elections. Right. I don't think I can manage it. So Mukete then was, uh, he was the serious chairman of the CDC. And now then I said, oh, well, they actually need uh, someone. They need a commercial. Uh, they needed a commercial manager because uh, uh, the one who is there is going to retire and so on, and they don't have anyone. So um, maybe, maybe you apply for that job, and you'll be seconded from government to the CDC. You know, you you'll be seconded. So someone, uh, this, uh, this senior divisional, and those who sympathize with with my position, uh, my my position that I could not handle the political corruption that was going on. Yeah. You know, they, they they were able to just say, okay, we we'll look at your papers. Okay, you have a degree in commerce and and so on. Uh, been in government, and even when when I was electoral officer, Mukete was surprised that. When I came to appointing people to supervise elections, I appointed him. He got so mad. He said, How can you, you know, <laughs> designate me, designate me? Because, because my, I had to sign the cards for everyone who was in the elections. And so, what happened? So, anyway, I got back to the CDC as a commercial, uh, commercial mm-hmm. officer. Right. And, and then, and then um, by then, Ngu, late Ngu, John Nibangu oh, is late now. He, he was now the general manager. I said they were able to, to manage uh, me. They made me, um, first of all, board, a secretary to the board of directors in Mukete's office. And, and, uh, and when, when uh, they found that the commercial manager was about to retire, they said, no, since I have a degree in commerce, I should get back to the commerce office. So. I was uh, transferred from Mukete's office where I was a board secretary back to be uh, with the, uh, uh, the commercial manager. Right. And it was the, at the commercial manager's place 
that uh, they say, oh, they wanted someone who was disciplined and you know had integrity to go to Tico and become the supply manager when Gembu, who was there, they were things not right. He needed someone, and, and so I will move from Bota to Tico to, to help in the supply department of the CDC. Again, I, 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 I wasn't, um, I, I started applying again for uh, scholarships to do my MBA. Yeah. I applied for scholarships. And at one point, I was uh, one of those I went for interview, and then and then I was one of those selected. But then, uh, someone happened who was selected from the WHO and the CDC. He went to uh, America, and the results came. I wasn't. My name did not show up. So I petitioned. I wrote to the president, Ahijo then. By then, the president Bia, he was the, the secretary general in the president's office. Mm-hmm. I wrote to complain that you know I attended the interview and I thought I was selected. Why? What has happened? That this same Bia, who was the, the, this thing in Ahijo's office, he wrote to me. Is the letter was actually signed? It is somewhere in history. I tell you, it is uh, somewhere at home. He signed it saying that go to the military of education and find out why you didn't go to America last year. Because according to the minutes in his office, in the president's office, I was one of the candidates selected for the MBA because that was in the plan of the government that they wanted MBA holders because there was there was none. They didn't have. Yeah. And I was selected. So he was shocked to hear that I'm in Cameroon. Why are you still here? I thought you are coming back. So I took the letter to the, the Yaoundé there, to the, the Minister of Education. Oh, that's when he got so mad. Who told you to go to the president, to write something to the president and so on? But why something that I just told him, I said, well, this is the letter from Bia, the Secretary General to the President. When he saw that, he just immediately they sent a cable to uh, to Boya to get me a passport and everything. Yeah. And they gave me to go back, <laughs> to go back and then get ready to go to America. Right. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, uh, Mr. Paul Bia back then was the Secretary General and he has been the President of Cameroon um, since, I believe, 1982. 82, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not the same beer that I knew then. It's yeah. not the same beer. He yeah. was for justice. And you know, at the, at the, ta- at the time, uh, Ahijo was handing over to him. You know what happened in Bamenda? They, they, they said New Deal government, New Deal. They actually wrote even on the roads because beer was coming in. Yeah. They said they were excellent New Deal. That was going to be better than Ahijo. Right. You know? well. And if I were one of those... <laughs> I would say it was better because I imagine that he would he signed a letter as Secretary General and the letter took effect and I ended up in America. Right. And how long were you in America for? So what has happened, it is only God who knows what really has this this destroyed that man's mind because he was good. Right. You know? 
now so it makes sense ended, why people wanted him in power because yeah, I believe they I were expecting that he was yeah. going to be better. Yeah, they thought he was going to be better. Yeah. So then, uh, then uh, I think in seventy seventy one, was supposed to have uh, actually I was supposed to have won in seventy, but in seventy one, that one uh, August, I think I was around August. Uh, I landed in Minnesota. I landed in Minnesota, uh, in the University of Minnesota, Minneapolis, because there are two high campuses on yeah. the Minneapolis campus. And um, and what happened in Minnesota was most interesting because as far as my education life is concerned, even my whole life, I am colorblind. I don't know anything about color or anything. I'm just, just colorblind. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but it, it it showed up in Minnesota then. Racism. You experienced racism yes. for the first time. Yeah, for the first time. I didn't even realize it. It was the the academic advisor who pointed out that this was the problem. And the problem was that I was the only I was the only black person in the MBA classrooms. And what happened was the the women were handling the academic records. More, all practically 100% of them were white, and and most of them, the people I was going to be dealing with, they have never, as as this man was explaining to me, they had never spoken to a black man, yeah. and so they were for the first time they see a black student. Mm-hmm. So each time I enter the office, try to find out, they all ran away. They disappeared. You see. Uh-huh. So that was what that's done when I reported to the foreign um, uh, the person in charge of uh, student advisor. I said, "But what's happening? Each time I go to the office, what happens?" So he told me then that well, uh, actually, um, you don't know it. You don't know it. Uh, Actually, you know, my, actually, my going to U.S., I first went under the experiment in international living. So I was in Connecticut before going to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. That one I just left out. Uh, and so he said, you don't know it. But what I can tell you is that if you were to remain here, the chances of getting your MBA within the time, uh, they, they were very slim. You see? It was under the scholarship program that even Minnesota was chosen. I wasn't the one who said this is where the university I want to go to. Yeah. You know, so it was it was uh, it was under the scholarship program that that's where they they wanted me to be. And and while I was in the the the, the program, the part of it was, for instance, to interview. You know, we're doing human resources, and so one of the requirements. Was that you have to interview? They had the tape recorders. This record is recorders. We will record them. You mm-hmm. go into the streets and interview people. And uh, as I interview people, there was no evidence that there was discrimination because instead people were very anxious, happy to come to me to ask me questions, right? Or for me to ask them questions. So I didn't even realize that there was something of that nature. It was the advisor who told me that there is discrimination here. The thing is that there is not is not visible on the streets in the in the where the program in which you are, you happen to be the only black students. And they create the academic office, they are not used to 
So that's why when you each time you want to go and follow up your things in the in the office, the the, the women, the secretary, they run away. They say that if you if you cannot if they cannot you cannot feel very free in the office, they cannot attend to you. Then how oh, it will be difficult for you to to if you have any challenges in the, then it will be difficult for you to yeah. look at your records and so on. Yeah. So he advised. I said, I said, okay, in that case, what do you want me to do? You see? Say, what do you want me to do? Then he said he has presented this uh, this matter. Because to, to tell even the, 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 the most interesting thing, for instance, was that since they actually wanted me to do the, 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 some courses that I had to do, but they were volunteer students, PhD students and so on, who were volunteering to teach me. So there was no, as far as the streets are concerned and the people and so on, there was no, I didn't feel anything at all. It was only then when the server pointed out to me that there was a problem which you don't know, but he knew about it and so on. So he was saying that he's trying to look for a, a, a university where that will uh, uh, evaluate your program, your, your things and if they accept you. So that he had presented uh, this piece of problem to uh, some uh, deans of various uh, universities. And to cut a long story short, he said Arizona, University of Arizona in Tucson. Mm-hmm. The dean, the dean there uh, said, given your records, your academic uh, long records and, and, and so on, they were prepared to accept you. And so, and so they then, uh, they, I said, okay, I don't even know, whichever, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And so they then organized for me in uh, that 72, that I've just been in Arizona from uh, August, uh, I think August or so, 71 to January. But then they said, okay, to, the government then had also plans for sending foreign students to various, uh, uh, regions. I said, I said, okay, we sent to Nebraska. You go and join there. The people are prepared to host you and so on. You know, uh, you go and join them. So, so I was sent to Nebraska and so on. Where, where in um, Iowa, I was, I was given honorary citizenship. Right. You know, of this and so on. And so to try everything started. Um, you know, I didn't even know about this all these uh, background things. Until when I got to Arizona and I was interviewed about discrimination in the U.S., there's a whole report on that. Even now, one of my daughters managed to find it wow. and said, "Oh, this is what you were doing even in the 70s." <laughs> I said, "Well, you know, see, said they really feel Aki Aki is the one who found it, right? You know, found the, the part of the interview that I had in Arizona." And mm. uh, that included things about uh, Minnesota. That uh, that's when I became aware. Mm-hmm. That oh, there was discrimination, right? But one of the interview questions was, "How have you managed it?" And I told them that before I came here, I knew that there's discrimination against the the, the blacks, the whites, and so on. There's discrimination, but that I didn't come here to change the society. I what I came here for was for education. So wherever there were rules, I, I followed them, and that is how I got on. You know, right. Um, and so Arizona, that was when I uh, I completed my MBA within record time, and so I still had I had uh, uh, a period where I could do the MS. So I had the MBA. Then I did I decided to go to agriculture to do things like uh, that's why this guy was doing uh, 
greenhouse thing. Yes, Roland. Greenhouse... Roland, yeah, the... yes. When we were talking about greenhouse, I was just smiling because I, that, that's one of the things I did in uh, University of Arizona, uh, right. Tucson there, you know? And, and that one I'm very much familiar with the, the whole uh, thing. So I, I completed an MBA and then I, 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 you know, I said, oh, since I have this uh, time and, and, and the resources, I, before I started working even for weekends, they were, they were not allowed, but then they said, since I finished my MBA and there was time, I started the uh, uh, MS in uh, agriculture, agriculture economics. And in, as part of my training, uh, I booked with uh, the World Bank. See, see, World Bank was sponsoring the CDC. Mm-hmm. You see? Now, then they, they were, I put a record that they wanted to uh, have an internship, the World Bank. Yeah, I'd be already. They say, oh, okay. So that was arranged from the University of Arizona for me to go to Washington, D.C. with the uh, uh, World Bank and so on. And, and I did that. And then went back and got my, uh, my, my two degrees. And then returned to Cameroon. I returned to the Cameroon Development Corporation. <laughs> I was, I was, I was made, actually, the, the, when I joined the training, I said, oh, they were thinking that you were going to, they wanted to make you the uh, deputy general manager. They wanted to make you the, uh, the, manager, the general manager. Uh, and so case studies on Cameroon will not be given to you. They gave you me case studies on Ghana and Nigeria and other West African countries. Right. You know? And uh, as I went back, and they went back to CDC, I was made um, uh, former so was made financial director, and then I was made uh, management accountant, management accountant. But I was now dealing with uh, those who are kind of World Bank to negotiate these loans and do things, uh, provide money and all types of things mm-hmm. to the CDC and other development uh, things in in Cameroon, research reports. And so I became the focal point for that, the management, management uh, accountant. And while I was uh, doing the, the, the Nibango, uh, he was the, uh, the, the he became uh, the manager, I mean, general manager also. Uh, no, it was financial director and to become the general manager. And so what happened during the time I was uh, management accountant, it it, uh, it occurred to me, then they appointed me also, they said credit control. I was in charge of the credit control. While I was uh, a management accountant, I used to, uh, I was very good at attending churches and so on, and helping. I was helping, uh, uh, there was a time they said, oh, they wanted, they wanted uh, people to take refugees from Namibia and other countries who are attending church and didn't have where to be going for help and so on. And I volunteered. I was always volunteering. Because while in the CDC, I was, imagine that was the greatest time I ever had. Well, I was teaching in Buya. I was teaching in Douala. And then I was also teaching in Dimbe uh, in, in there, you know? Uh, the Pan-African Institute, I was one of the lecturers part-time. Then the uh, university center in, in Yaon and Douala, I was also a lecturer. And at that time, Cameroon had uh, this provision for that those who had uh, these uh, high degrees, they should be given uh, the opportunity to, 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 to share knowledge, to help other institutions. 
and that they, they so there was not much they did not restrict me that because you are full time here you cannot go to to teach at the university in the Aounde, I mean in uh, Douala or you cannot go to to Boya the Pan African Institute so I had that freedom in fact it would be interesting to know that I was getting more money from the teaching than from these places than my salary from the CDC then you know. <laughs> But that was one of the most interesting things. So, so while I was, um, like I was saying, I was helping a lot of, uh, lot of people. And at one point in time, some Namibian uh, students, uh, refugees, they said, oh, the way you have been so helpful to us and the way we see you helping so many other refugees, we come to our place to eat and so on. In the church, you also give help us. Have you heard of the United Nations Institute for Namibia? I, I said, no. They said, are you not interested in the United Nations job? I said, well, I'm, I'm satisfied you have a free house, a free car, and all this. You know how the CDC was really very generous in those days. Mm-hmm. Not, not later on, no. Mm-hmm. So, so I said, they said, no, we think that you can help us. You can help our colleagues in, 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 in Namibia. The way you are really handling the situation, the, how hardworking, how helpful, and, and so on, how humanitarian. Can you please, we have, we have uh, spoken to our director, and he says, okay, they have vacancies. You apply. There's a vacancy for a head of economic the department to new apply. So I applied. That's how I ended up here for interview in 77. But when I came for the interview, the interesting thing was that the ANC and the SWAPO and the other regulation movements in this part of the uh, the continent, they also had they also had their, their own uh, people lecturing and they were already professors in America here and there. They also applied. And so when I got uh, the interview, uh, Adeleji was then uh, the Secretary General of the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. He was the chair chairman. And the, the director of uh, the United Nations Institute, who happens to be a Namibian, Gengop, he's the president of Namibia now, actually. You know, he, he preferred me with an MD and MSc, than the people with PhD from the US and so on. But the other members of the uh, panel said, no, how can we, okay, we'll take your word, but give, let's give, we'll give some time. We would think that the one with PhD from say, South African and was working with Mandela and so on, we think that he should be the, the head. He should, be, he should fill that position. If there's any other position, is there, you can then give it to, to him. And at that time, there was no other position. So they gave it to a South African. And when I got home, the results came. Well, they were the ones who paid the ticket. They were the ones paying everything. Mm-hmm. The results came, and the gang of the director then, he then explained to, to me, actually even to those students, but when the students came, the students who were refugees in the church there, and when they came to my village, they, were, they said they were surprised that I couldn't get the job. But that the director, they explained to me what happened. That yes, I got the job they had, but that the, because of the politics, the ANC and and the Swapo, since they were the Swapo was under being held by the ANC, they had to consider their candidate and so on. And the candidate happens to be from uh, Jones University in the states. He had been 
uh, you know, being the a professor there. And I wasn't a professor myself, even though I had experience in teaching in Cameroon and so on. Yeah. So, so they took kind a of long story short. They then said, okay, uh, they said that uh, when there's any opposition, they would uh, they will consider me. Then in '78, uh, next year, all the director wrote to me and said, oh, there is a position for a, a lecturer. So, and you will be under the head, the person who took your antenna interview. You know, you you'll be your boss. But I personally, I think from the performance, the interview results show that you did better. But all the same, would you be ready to to be under this person? That very much need you, need your service. Because the the services we here are rendering there, if you can render to our students here, uh, I think it will be it will be wonderful. And that the minister at the time, who was also at the interview, he said he is prepared that you could be his uh, economic advisor. He said, if so, you even prepared to, to, if you accept this position, just a lecturer, not a head. Yeah, so um, once uh, I received the uh, invitation to take a, a, another position, a position as a lecturer instead of head, head of the department, well, I, because of my commitment to uh, serving, you know, which I was in, like in commerce, I was teaching everywhere. Uh, I even wrote some book on commerce and so on, which uh, students uh, liked very much. So I had to apply to the CDC then to say I wanted uh, one year um, to be away for one year because that way I was given a contract for a lecturer for, for one year. And, and since he granted uh, Nebangu, then he was, he was in charge, he granted for one year. And I paid my ticket. I was back here in '79. You know, was back just less than two years. Mm-hmm. I was back here in '79 as a lecturer in the economics uh, department. And what country um, that? What country were, were you in back then? Uh, Zambia. Zambia. Lusaka, okay. Zambia. Okay. Yeah, I was for United Nations Institute for Namibia. Mm-hmm. United Nations Institute for Namibia. Um, uh, you know, as a, as a lecturer. Uh, economics mm-hmm. and and then advisor of course uh, like I said to the the then um, minister the factor market minister in charge of uh, economic development uh, after which is going to be after independence mm-hmm. and so I, I landed here in '79 uh, and and then joined the institute the United Nations for Namibia and and uh, and and, uh, and then and then. Uh, during the uh, with the experience I was having, I found that one of the when it came to appointment, the director would want to appoint me as uh, in take charge of the uh, research, mm-hmm. you know, research uh, report. But but then someone would say, oh no, the deputy director who happened to come come from uh, Tanzania, he would say, no, oh, we have somebody here who has a PhD, and uh, and this is a person with PhD, you know, we should be the secretary of the research committee. So again, I you know I say again, this PhD thing has uh, stopped me from being head of department. And now it's stopping me again from being a, a secretary of the research committee. Right. So I said, what is all this, you know? So I said, no way. Why can't I do a PhD myself? Then I wanted to do it uh, with the University of Tanzania um, and Dar es Salaam, or even University of Zambia here. But the, the choice I was making, uh, I felt that they, there are certain things which if I... If I find out and I put them, I'll be kicked out of the country. So, 
I tried with uh, Britain. First of all, I tried, then, then I was accepted in 84. Uh, I was accepted to do the PhD by um, University of uh, Wales mm-hmm. in Aberystwyth. Now, of course, before the acceptance, they, they had I had to go there for uh, for interview. A work, uh, more or less, they call it a work, a short workshop, you know, interview. Mm-hmm. So I had to organize, they organized a workshop. I went there and they interviewed, they interviewed me. So when I came back, they sent out the results and said, yes, they could, I could be registered for the PhD. And that's what mm-hmm. I did in 84. And uh, we came back and continued as senior lecturer at the United Nations of Namibia while I was doing my PhD uh, off campus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and uh, it was on the CDC. The CDC and uh, the economic development, smallholders and the economic development uh, of Cameroon, the role of the CDC and uh, what changes could be made. Actually, it ended up with like uh, development and privatization type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I went to Britain and uh, they conducted a workshop, or I mean a seminar, at which I had to present on the economy economy of Namibia, and then those who attended the uh, from uh, the university, they are they are, they are approved. They say yes, I was uh, qualified for PhD. So so, um, so I came back and then continued, made the questionnaire, which is approved. I came to Cameroon, went to Yaounde, uh, you know, interviewed uh, people to to finish the questionnaire. And then I came back and, um, and then used the data. Then went went back to Britain when I had leave to stay in the library, do research and so on. And so come 1988, this was already somebody was in the 46, 40 something like that. Yes. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> I, went, I went there to, to the Viva, Viva, Viva. And uh, Viva, the uh, Viva was in uh, University of Leicester, Leicester or Leicester. Mm-hmm. Leicester, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, Leicester, the director, uh, I mean the the person there, he happened to be the one who also interviewed the the person the university appointed as the secretary of the research committee because of his PhD. In the process, this person asked me, "Do you know this person?" I said, "Yes, he's my colleague." He said, yeah, but you seem to have performed better than he did in those years. I said, well, that's not what they think at the Institute. That's why I said, that's why I was had to do the PhD. And um, the one of the interesting things was that there was something I said about Britain that uh, my supervisor advised me to take it out. And if you keep it in this, you know, you expect to get a PhD from a country that you, you, you destroyed through your analysis. Right. You know? So anyway, by the time I got back here, the results of the Viva, this was my second uh, Viva, you know. The, the first one was a workshop, and this one was actually person to person. The results had already come out that I got, I got my PhD. Nice, the, nice. The director here, when the, when, when the thing came, he jumped up and said, this is what I said when you came here for interview, more than five years ago, I said you are the one. Now you see, you right. proved right that your PhD material 
Right. But they didn't, they didn't agree with me now. It's a, so I'm just gang up, you know. He said he wasn't now. He was he only proved him right. That was a PhD material right. at the time. Nice. And then now the Namibia was going to get independence in 1990. And now Efange was at the who used to attend meetings, even at DDG who used to attend uh, uh, board meetings at the United Nations of Namibia. They say, well, if there's uh, if I could apply, if it, if I could apply for United United Nations job, main uh, this thing, the the vacancies at the United Nations Economic Commission of Africa, then I can move from here to Addis, and that's what happened. Uh, I think around October or something, uh, when I applied, I had an interview with UNDP, and UNDP they were quite surprised that why is it that uh, you know you are applying for a P3. Where well, you have been P3 for all these years, instead of BIP4. So all I told them that I have a family, you know, if I was going for a higher money and my, I remain unemployed, what happens to my family? Right. You know? What happens to my family? And uh, and so they said, okay, in that case, you've been selected to go to Economic uh, for Africa, you've succeeded in the interview for an administrative officer. And uh, the result got to Addis, and they said, no, how can it be that other people are interviewed in Addis, and you interviewed this one in Lusaka and say he succeeded? We want him here to be interviewed. So they had to pay for me to go to there for interview. And, right. found, and that's Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Yeah, then I went to Ababa, Ethiopia, and I was there October 89, after a little more than 10 years of service here. Right. So I went there, and... Uh, I was in the Department of um, of uh, Public Administration and, and Development. Right. Was there. And so I joined in after after I think I just after two years. Now I was with the Adedeji. Since he was here, he insisted that I must be working with him all the time. And so the we started this program of AAF, Alternative African uh, for Development. It was under Adedeji. So he started, uh, we did the studies, he would want me to be, I was always with him and so on. But the head of the department, where, where would I recruited me? They insisted that no, how can you, we brought this man here because we wanted him to be here. Now you've uh, taken him. But instead, the new Secretary General of African Union, they said they wanted somebody who was very uh, honest and straightforward to take charge of the recruitment of staff. Uh, United Nations Economic Council, they wanted a chief of recruitment. And they said, okay, they'll move me there for uh, for one year. The boss said no, and they, they resisted. But uh, of course, the boss knew you all approved that I should be chief of recruitment. So wow. I got there. People like uh, the Fombang, uh, Fombang in, uh, in, uh, who retired in Yaoundé, uh, you know, they know my performance as chief of recruitment and personnel chief, Economic Commission for Africa. You know, yeah, and, and and while there, while while there, now we had uh, some Ghanaian who became the secretary general, secretary general, of, uh, secretary of economic community from Africa, and he very much wanted me to take charge of uh, procurement, procurement of uh, you know all types of things for the commission. And I said, no, I wanted a P5 position. And uh, since you want me, you don't want to give me a P5 position, uh, they was, I will not accept it. And I said, okay, this is very troubling. I will send it to Kigali. 
Kigali, Rwanda. Rwanda. I know in Rwanda, there's the acting head of the United Nations Mission for Eastern Africa, for Eastern Africa, 14 countries. Wow. You know? So uh, while they, you know, while it was temporary, and they said they had to appoint somebody else, because they said, how can they make me a director? You know, so they, they decided to send someone from Burkina uh, or Burkina, you send somebody to take over. And while while you were trying to take over from me as the director of the uh, the office, I was acting director. I was not substantive. New York wanted some peacekeeper. Mm -hmm. They wanted someone to be in peacekeeping. And and uh, the peacekeeper he was going to be appointed to go to Burundi. So so they, they, they called and asked me if I was interested. I said, yes. So I ended up as chief administrative officer in Burundi. And uh, that was under the United Nations. Because later on, I came under the African Union. Mm -hmm. Isn't it when I retired? They appointed me. That was the first duty station of the African Union in, uh, in uh, two, 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 2002. Yeah. It was the African Union. But but way back in um, I think uh, yeah way back I was in Burundi I mean in um, Rwanda from Rwanda to Burundi then 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 I went from uh, from there I went to so many other missions yeah you know I went to South Africa for the elections the Mandela elections mm -hmm. Africa I went to Georgia Tbilisi that's uh, the Soviet Union. Then I went to East Timor. That's where I ended yeah, there, East Timor, Timor, when they were fighting there. Yeah. That's where your mother joined me. Yeah, I remember she went, she was in, she started off in East Timor. Yes, that's where she joined me there as a volunteer doctor. And then, and then she, she as, 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 as usual, she, she had to do a bachelor's degree in public health at the University of Darwin. Australia in yeah, Darwin. Australia. In Darwin. You yeah. see, so I do, it's very um, a lot of other things which I, I think I'll bring them in later on. Yeah, yeah. So it was from um, from East Timor that I, I I retired, went back to to ECA to for my retirement, for my retirement, and immediately the African Union recruited me two zero two to be their chief administrative officer in Burundi again. Mm -hmm. You know, and then from uh, Burundi. They said, they, again, they had Sudan problem. I miss. They wanted someone to help to establish. In fact, by the time I left, they, they, they were calling me the father of um, Amis, the father of African mission in, in Sudan. You know? Wow. I, I, you know, so that's how. Um, and then, uh, of course, I then, after my retirement, I end up here now, and now as, we, as a freelance. Uh, economy yeah. development development specialist wow that's such a story oh my goodness <laughs> that's a whole history yeah. lesson i'm super grateful yeah, if, I, if i were to go into detail we'll take another one yeah <laughs> i mean i'm so i'm so grateful that you shared this with me and there were so many lessons that i could pick up from your story you know first yeah. off the whole importance of hard work i mean yeah. just from you speaking i mean i know you of course i've known you all my life but for someone who doesn't know you they can pick up a few values from you integrity humility 
positivity, hard work, you know, and just persistence, you know, and based on your story, one of the questions I had based on my conversation with my mother was, you know, I always wonder like what really made you influence my mother to make certain decisions and to go all the way to the level that she is to pursue medicine, despite the stereotypes against women being educated in an advanced way, you know, in their, especially in their generation and things like that. But based off of your story, I can definitely understand why you made sure that she pursued medicine, why you made sure that she had a very advanced level of education and everything. So I'm super grateful for that. And I know that she is definitely grateful for all the lessons and all the uh, influence that you've had in her life, for sure. So basically, of all your accomplishments, what are you most proud of? Brady, what I'm most proud of is the fact that what I've had in mind, the proactive humanitarian approach where you your hard work, your integrity, uh, your determination to succeed has led to, to the accomplishment of not only your, your success in the various fields that I've mentioned, but the, but the fact that you have you have passed on, you've passed on, you've uh, more or less enabled others, enable yeah. others to now go on with what what you 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 were to continue to do if you were to live forever and everybody has to go and and uh, and uh, and so I have if it if it comes like I think one of the questions was what did you how do you want to be remembered for I I I would say for I have already been remembered because helping say my own determination to help others through showing them to, uh, to that hard work is a, pro, uh, is, a, is a priority, showing them that humility is important, showing them that integrity, especially integrity, honesty yeah. is important, and that helping helping people is my primary, my primary concern. And that almost those I, I, I have been able to bring up, Mm-hmm. They have all continued with that. Your mother is the first one. Yeah. The the amount when you see when she was talking in the in the, the, the Dakar, I was feeling so good. Yeah. Because like before her to come, a doctor wasn't she she you you wouldn't imagine that you have two two daughters, her senior sister and herself, and you take them and put them when I went to America and say, tell me what do you want to do, Beatrice? What do you want to do? Do you want so you go to school or you want to get married? Beatrice says, no, I want to get married. Grace, do you want to go to school or you want to get married? She said, no, 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 I want to go to school first. Yeah. And she remembered that I would call me doctor. And so it was her choice. But that choice was I gave them the liberty. And that's what I do. That you have to work hard. You have the liberty to make decisions. And then to be able to help people to help others and that's and that's what that's what your mother has done that's my greatest pride yeah <laughs> have a, a husband that is my greatest pride have a husband who is also the same the same uh, spirit and she didn't she didn't marry him the way you girls do you go and meet the, they did it did not mean in our days of marriages you cannot just go to the girl you go to the parents yeah and that's why you go to parents but she made a choice herself to go to education, 
Has his time made a choice to get married? married. He made a choice to education, and the choice was to do what I did not do, medicine. Yeah. She knew that that's what daddy wanted to do, and that's what she wanted. So she's carrying on. And what has happened? Akwe is there. Ma is here. Yeah. You are there. <laughs> Ma is in uh, South, South Africa. Africa. Yes. You, you, you see? So, 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 so. Even the, the, the orphans, the number of orphans she has and husband have been able to bring up. Yeah. And so so it is, uh, so I would, have, I would have said, when I saw this page, I said, oh, I'm already remembered. Yeah. I'm already remembered to help humanity. Yeah. Through my own hard work. Yeah. I have this, I have this, she more or less is inherited practically every aspect of my life. Yeah. You know? Promoting, making sure that people who are in need, it is not, it doesn't matter whether you are black or white or Cameroonian or any other nationality, you're human. And so, and so, and so your mother is, is that a clear example. Commitment to people, helping yes. people to, you know, being, being proactive, you know. That has been, this is a, it's a living, living, that is my, my, my personal uh, memory. And, and the, the children are already showing it. They, they, they all, yeah. They are all there helping, firstly, making help yourself through hard work, determination, and integrity, and then helping others. Yeah. It's not, I mean, there are instances, for instance, where in order to be able to bring up uh, these uh, children, you know, the, the, what would what the United Nations? I had all the opportunity to enjoy myself, fly first class and so on, but I would always go me uh, third class. I would go to places where there are hotels like, like in the Congo there. People were paying uh, 200 I paid 200 for the first night. Then I asked somebody, say, yeah, there's a place where you can pay 50 And I decided to go into the 50 You know, <laughs> then because the other money I would then use to, not to do myself, I would use it to, to help other people, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, then, then my hard work, uh, honesty, integrity, humility, they more or less have uh, earned me. The yeah. what earned me the scholarship in, in Nigeria. It, it, it was uh, somebody was not. It was not my father, my mother, and so on. Yeah, who recommended that we've never seen a hardworking, humble, honest. You know, uh, any any time something was wrong, people are uh, denying it. He would say yes, I was involved. Yeah, he said that they could not imagine such a such a person. Right. So, I mean, I know your story, you know, one thing that also stood out to me was, you know, coming from basically almost nothing. And I mean, even with your story in Nigeria, how you were bare feet, you didn't even have, you were homeless too. You know, it's not like you didn't have a home back in Cameroon, but like you just had a very, very high level of tenacity and just passion to, and focus towards what you were pursuing that even if it had to take for you to be homeless, you know, you would have done it. You were that desperate, willing to be homeless to pursue your dreams, which most of us, especially in this time and age, will not even want to do that. I feel like we're we're a very spoiled generation and we have so much at our fingertips that we don't even realize how blessed we are when compared to prior generations. And I know, you know, your legacy for sure has been passed on even to us. You know, there are a lot of attributes from my mom, which I could see in you as well. So you're definitely still remembered, especially through us. And it's most especially what I remember you for, it was just for your kindness as well. 
every time I remember when I was in primary school, every time you came to visit, you always brought us so many gifts and you always gave us money. You always gave us a hundred dollars. <laughs> I can never forget a hundred dollars back then was like probably like a thousand dollars now, you know, and you know, it was just one of those things that we always looked forward to you coming to visit and you always spoke to us. I mean, we we're very young, but at least you tried to, you know, just talk to us as our grandpa and advise us and stuff like that. So we're super grateful. And again, we're always going to be grateful for you raising our mother to be who she is today because most of her attributes were learned from you. Now, like I said, uh, going back to the, you know, the fact that you know, you had little and you made the most out of it. In this time, you know, this is such an interesting time to be alive, you know, with social media and, you know, technology has just blown off the roof. And there's so many things that are going, life is going so fast. And um, at the same time, a lot of people are exposed to so many things. You know, back then you had mentioned writing a letter to President Pobia, then Secretary General, to complain and petition for your admission into a program in the U.S. But I can imagine it probably took almost a month or two for that letter to get to him. But now you just have a click and boom, everyone is exposed to your life. Everyone knows what you're going through and stuff like that. And social media as well has been influenced by a lot of negativity. And a lot of people are not happy with their lives. A lot of people are not content because there's so much exposure to what's better. And people forget to look at their lives and see how blessed they are and to see how they can use what they have to get what they need or what they want, which is what you did growing up because you didn't have much, but you used what you had to get to where you were. Now, what kind of advice will you give to the people of this current generation and basically the young ones who are very influenced by social media and everything that comes with it? Uh, we must uh, thank you very much for the um, compliments. You've given me that I've even forgotten how I used to visit you guys. Right. So it's just, just, it just uh, part of me, instinct, yeah. you know, just instinctive. Yes. Um, yeah, for the present generation, what what I we must have uh, we have our mindset is very important, and we know that change is unstoppable. Change is unstoppable. Change, first of all, the change from being a family, just family. Say, I started when I said it was a polygamous uh, family. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as polygamous now because there is a. Fa- against any polygamy that it would have. Yeah. Now the world, the world is becoming more global. It is becoming more and more global. You know, because when you say, for instance, uh, when you say Africa, Africa is not a nation. Africa is made up of nations. And but what we should bear in mind is that we must. Every person has the rights to make contribution to what is called development. The key thing here would be, for instance, making Africa or making, if it were possible to make the world free of injustice, free of injustice, then things could be much better than they are mm-hmm. now. And then we must also accept the fact that every human being has ideas and so must be given the opportunity to express themselves. And so here, this is what we now call, now can then refer to as family dynamics. 
dynamics. So if we start with a family, we must know that everyone in the family has ideas that can contribute to the well-being of their family. And so it, it doesn't matter where one is located. This idea of saying people of color, people of this and so on, those are facts. But then, for instance, if we were to take the war that is going on in Ukraine now, is it African versus African? Is it black versus white? It, you know, and, and so the world is becoming more and more global. And so we should be able to have a, a thing like proactive humanitarianism, proactive humanitarianism, you know, proactive that everyone should have an idea of what to, uh, to, to do to bring about developments. And everyone should respect the views of the other and see how they can be reconciled in a very common good for everyone mm-hmm. to accept. In the era of the dictatorship is over. Yeah. There's no more dictatorship. The time when, uh, when for instance, parents would insist that this is what you have to do and have to do it is over, you know? There are the, 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 the time when you, you say that I cannot move I'm here in uh, Africa, I cannot move to the States, is over. Because the people are moving all over now. It's, it's yeah. there's no, no, no one place where people don't move. Mm-hmm. And, and so we must accept that change is unstoppable, that change is necessary, and it is going on and on. And so we all should to contribute to that change. We must then have ideas on development on what to do. And the concept, the idea of work, people think of work is work for someone else. But the concept of work should be self-employment. What do I do for myself and for others? Yeah. And what do I do? Can I do for others? So there's a misconception in one of my publications. I did say that when people have a talk of employment, if you were to ask in those days, we as a woman, how are you as a married wife like you, we were to ask you, uh, what are you, what is your job? Assume that you're not working. You say, oh, I'm not, not employed. But if you were to take what you do at home, to take care of the babies, to take care of uh, everything else in the house, you maybe you will find that you are, you are even more, you spend more time than okay. your husband is doing. Yeah. <laughs> now, you should know that everyone, whether a man or a woman, is a breadwinner. Yes. We move away from the point where people used to say that men are the breadwinners. Yeah. And the women are men is a serving. So we say everyone is a breadwinner. And everyone has to start with self-employment. Yeah. And then see how you can employ other people or before you be employed by others. So redefinition of employment is very, very important. Yeah. And then the other one is a matter of criminality. Now with the development technology and all this, it is more sophisticated to uh, crimes can be committed more sophisticated in a more sophisticated manner. Yeah. And so this is this is where again individuals and families should be able to use technology for the uh, good of society. 
rather than use that technology for destruction. Yeah. You know, so, so should, that, that is another area of, that we have to, uh, to consider. And then this idea of saying, uh, yeah, Africa, Africa is not one country. <laughs> the, when I was, so every development should start from each country. Yeah. Because what the African Union and the Economic Commission for Africa was, did were, they, they established a, sec- a joint secretariat. And that joint secretariat was to enable the African countries to all will bring their own development ideas first nationally and then they bring them together and and uh, and then uh, program 2063 was to be that they can have a common market mm-hmm. but it should not it should not just take africa as though it is one country so development is development issues should start from countries mm-hmm. and then move in into the you know look at look at what happened in Europe for instance Britain is just Brexit yeah isn't it yeah yeah when Britain was with the rest of Europe Europe was known as Europe but it isn't yeah. so, so for Africa development should start from the countries yeah define the development the countries and then come at the the the, the, the colonial level then you can have a common uh, common uh, market a common uh, policy. Yeah, but uh, to, to say to always call Africa Africa, I don't think that is um, <laughs> that that is uh, the best way of going about the analysis. Yeah. The analysis and the uh, stimulation should be country based, and then move on to a continental base. Yes, that's true. And, 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 and we should also remember that this idea of uh, thinking that black people are only in Africa is no longer the case. Yeah, in fact, an interesting thing is that. Recently, uh, we understand that there are some uh, Zambians who were expected to come back from Ukraine, and they decided, I know they're not coming back. And I'm sure in other African countries too, that the Africans who have decided to be Ukrainians. You see? Yeah, that's so the world. The world. The world is moving, changing from a village level now is coming to international level, coming to global level. Mm-hmm. You see? Yeah. So we should be able to to to, to see the, this. Uh, the dynamics of development, the dynamics of human relations. Uh, dynamic life should not be limited just to families, but should become uh, things of uh, uh, international or global concern. Yeah, you know? that's true. Thank you so much for that, Grandad. So there's one last question that I have for you. You know, I, I would think that in your generation, like you are probably one of the most educated people that you may know amongst your circles or your age mates, you know, and also considering your story and everything that you've been through, you probably have a lot of lessons and even more stories to tell. I mean, you guys are obviously not getting any younger and, you know, I feel like you have lived a life that is very exemplary with a lot of experience. Now, if you had to, you know, give advice to the younger generations, what three pieces of advice will you give, especially to us, the young ones, young Africans, as we grow older, what three pieces of advice will you give to us based on the lessons that you have learned from life? Well, one, the very, very first First one is yourself as an individual. 
you should have in, integrity as, a, as an individual. You must have integrity. You must have be honest in whatever you do. Then it is a family, because it is individuals who make up the family. The family dynamics, the family relations, they have positive and negative aspects. So one would say, focus on the positive dimensions of family relations. That is wife and husband, or mother and father, the family itself at the family level. Respect for justice, no injustice. And the knowledge that the relations, you are a part of humanity. And so there should be a proactive approach to humanity in the sense that you should be able to say you belong to a family, so family level, then you belong to society, then the communities. And then we have the, the, the national level contribution. Your contribution mm-hmm. should be positive, no discrimination. Everything should be humanitarian. Yeah. And then international, global. You're part of the global world in which we are. Mm-hmm. And so whatever, whatever we want to do, we must be based, everything that we do, we must base our actions on integrity, I keep referring to this, the, the honesty to con- that you are here to contribute to humanity, to existence of others and yourself. And so then you have, then you have love, peace, unity, and development. Yeah. And and I want to congratulate um, all all those who are carrying on with the the good things of life, the approach to life that they've come through. It is not my name that should be remembered. It is what 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 has been done and what you are doing that should be remembered. Because somebody would, I don't think I am. I'm already 80 years old, and uh, I never expected to even get to half of that. And so we should be determined that hard work, integrity, humility, proactive humanitarian activities. Yeah. To guide us all through yeah wow thank you so much granddad this has been such a interesting and resourceful conversation i just want to thank you so much for sharing your story your life story and the lessons that came with them now how can people reach you if they want to seek for any kind of advice all right okay like i said i'm, I'm so grateful that um you've given me this opportunity to, to to chat with you, my granddaughter. This is a this is a, exactly what I said that I've already been remembered. <laughs> so anyway, I've already been remembered. This is one of it, and there are so many that they don't even know the name, but they are carrying on with the humanitarian work. And and so uh, I have my email address. Uh, also, the email address is um, Wilfred at yahoo.co.uk okay yes i'm i'm right here at a, in a country that that uh, used to be known as the frontline states you know? right the frontline state because it was uh, it was taking care of the freedom of all the countries 
all the eight countries, countries about eight countries surrounding Zambia. Mm-hmm. They, they were they were taking care of all the refugees and um, and peace. Yeah, uh, still for peace all through and through. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wish. I wish Africa were like this. Right. I thank you. I thank you very much indeed. It's. Uh, Thank you, Grandpa. This has been such a wonderful conversation. And I hope that our listeners can get a lot of lessons from your story and also from your advice and have these conversations with their own grandparents or with their own family members. And I just hope that we can continue the conversation within our own circles and learn so many lessons from our elders just the same way as I have done with you. So I really want to thank you so much for coming on to Living African Podcast. And I thank you again for the support. I know you've always been, you're, you've been an avid listener to the episodes and you always give oh, feedback yeah. after yeah. every episode. So I just want to thank you. I hope that at least I've made you proud <laughs> somehow. And you <laughs> made me proud and and you you you're doing what you just asked me is it advice can you give to youngsters initiative like your own yeah you see this initiative so everyone should have take the initiative but your mindset yeah have the initiative yes and any ideas you have in mind yeah what you have done it only goes to underscore what i have had in mind yeah. That you're helping, helping to spread the word. Now you 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 may not even realize how much this uh, podcast arrangement that you've made, the 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 knowledge that you are sharing with youngsters and the impact they would have. So I have been looking for an opportunity, and I must congratulate you. Thank you, Granddad. And God would bless you. Know. Amen. Thank you very much. I hope to have more stories as such on the platform. So if anybody out there has a story to tell, and especially who's of African origin, I will be glad to have them on this platform so we can keep the conversation going. But thank you again so much for being on here and I'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs> Bye. Thank you very much, Jenny. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.